gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast, episode six, as Kyle, my producer, so kindly reminded me. Not episode seven, right, Kyle? Episode six? No, is that what we're on? You have a real hard time with math and counting, I guess. So. Well, I'm a journalist. We right. don't need to know numbers. I feel like you might a little bit, but you know, I'm here to make sure you're on the right Statistics track. Statistics don't, yeah, no, okay. don't count like that. That's fine. All right. Well, today we have an amazing guest. We've got Ryan Rucco in studio from ESPN and the Yes Network. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, when you say episode seven, like I, I actually, I'm a little upset that I'm not a part of episode seven because that's been the only thing on my mind <laughs> since mid-December because I'm a total Star Wars nerd. Oh, that's good. So it's just like episode seven, it, Force Awakens, those are the only words and numbers in my head for days. So I'm sorry I'm I'm only episode six, but I'm still happy to be here and thanks we're for no having longer, me. We're no longer doing a sports podcast, by the way. Him and I are just going to talk Star Wars for the next hour. Okay, so I asked that. Doug Williams, I was trying to get some inside information on you. I wanted yeah. to get some dirt and I was like, tell me everything you know about Ryan Rucco. And he was like, uh, I got two things. He's in love with Joe Panic. Yeah, it's very true. And he's like, and he's in love with Star Wars. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of sports, the first one, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we know who Joe Panic is. But I was like, I'm not that into Star Wars, but I'm sure he could talk about it all day with Kyle. So if you two want to just take over the podcast, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, no, we're changing it totally to a Star Wars podcast now. I am a huge, like, Doug kind of nailed that. He uh-huh. did, because, like, I. I, I'm a huge Joe Panic fan because he's my buddy. I, I grew up playing baseball with him and his brother. So now, like, you know, when you see one of your former teammates and somebody who you've known since he was 12 years old playing in the big leagues and winning a World Series and being in All-Star, it's, it's amazing. And uh, as much as I love Joe, he pales in comparison to Darth Vader or <laughs> Ray or a variety of Star Wars characters because I am obsessed. I've seen it four times already in the theater. What? Yeah, yeah. Four times, twice IMAX 3D. It's like I Does it, he have you beat Kyle? Probably yeah, no, right. I, I've actually only seen it the one time, but I do want to see it. What are you doing, you, Kyle? Yeah, you can't consider yourself a real We're Star Wars working, fan. Hold on. You can Oh, if like he watched. doesn't work? <laughs> yeah. He has like no, eight that's true. jobs. That's Ryan true. has more jobs than anyone I know in the broadcast business. You can consider Kyle, yourself a real you Star Wars work fan. like two hours a day. Yeah, all right. Listen. And you watch movies all day. Why are you blowing blowing it up right now? Nobody <laughs> you know, knows. Alexa, I like I know. She, she defends me nicely. Because yeah. because you claimed you're the biggest Star Wars fan and you're sitting in front of the biggest Star Wars fan. So it's a glaring difference, Kyle. All that matters is that you You've watched all six movies in a row on one day. That pretty much qualifies you. Have you done that? I have. You know what? I actually haven't done that. So oh, maybe Kyle okay. just, the pendulum swung back Kyle's way. <laughs> I do want to see it again. I did love episode seven a lot. You'll pick so. up on something different every time. Yeah. It yeah. was just a good movie, though. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, it's it was, it was, it, it's fun very to watch. good. And this time, I don't know if you're a movie, like big movie person, Alexa, but you know, like this time of year, there's so many good movies so out. So many. So. Like, I, I almost am like, oh, I got I to see Revenant. I got to see, you know, Joy, although I know it wasn't didn't get great reviews. But whatever. There's a lot of movies like Oscar, you know, movies usually come out this time of year. And I just can't. I just keep going back to Star Wars. I can't go see all these other great movies. So. <laughs> That's so funny. So Peter's part of SAG. And we get all the Yeah, you get the DVDs. Sag. Yeah. It's amazing. So, yeah, this every time, every winter, every year, we're just hibernating, <laughs> watching DVDs. And it's the best. Um, we saw, what did we see recently? We saw The Big Short. Which I just I got that in the mail. I got to watch it. Yeah. I thought that was good. We saw Spotlight. I love Spotlight. Spotlight was great. Awesome. Um, and because we're like journalism nerds, right? Like, so the newspaper industry, that all to me is super interesting. I don't know if you're a big journalism, yeah, uh, newspaper guy sure. in terms of that. Absolutely. Like any kind of media I'm interested right, in. And exactly. What's so cool about that movie is, you know, the subject matter is so heavy that you could do it a variety of ways that are difficult for the audience to digest or that, you know, make it almost seem uh, 
crass or I mean, you, there's a lot of ways with that subject matter that it could be really a, a difficult story to sit through because it's so disturbing. But because of the way they focused on the journalism aspect of it, they still showed the like proper sensitivity to actually what happened with the Catholic Church and, yeah. and the priest. But they also didn't make it so it was all about that, but they did the victims justice. It was like a nice blend of getting you into the journalism story and treating it with the proper care, the other aspects yeah, of it. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about football, too, because yeah. it's a sports podcast, so we'll talk a little bit about... Yeah, we'll get it back to sports. <laughs> we'll get it back to sports. We're going to talk about the NBA. So I want to ask the listeners, if you are a fan of Kyle, Ryan, myself, or sports, to make sure you follow us on iTunes and YouTube at That's What She Said podcast also um your twitter alexa underscore nyc on twitter Did you and forget instagram your twitter? the underscore always throws me off yeah okay, i hate underscores alexa like, nyc won't give up her twitter handle I wanted so what bad those and she won't give it up. Right? Like, like, what did you offer? I mean, I wasn't willing to pay too much because it's. But a you Twitter were going to give some money. Like, what if she? Like a hundred bucks. Oh yeah. And no. And she wasn't. wouldn't do it. No. Is it like that some wasn't. random teenager named Alexa that's doing it? I have is... no idea. Her picture's like an egg. You know, it's not like an actual uh, picture. Oh my gosh, she has an egg picture and yeah. she's not willing to give it up for hundred bucks. I, I don't even have an egg picture and I don't use Twitter. So right, yeah. I know. So anyway, we'll have to get my lawyers on that. You can also <laughs> follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Rucco and Instagram at Rye Rooks. What That's happened right. there? Well, so um, there is a, there's a, a there, Ryan Rucco was taken uh-huh. on Instagram. I got into the Instagram game a little too late and I, I didn't know if I could like try and get it. Like you're ahead of me as far as like trying to, you know, steal Twitter handles from people or Instagram handles or whatever. But I, so. Well, I, to be fair, I contacted her, offered a hundred dollars and I never heard back, so oh, right. I don't know. I don't know how much further I she am. She may not know how to access her Twitter. <laughs> no. Actually, like she's she she may be like really excited about that offer if she actually ever sees. I tell it. everyone she won't give it up. I don't know that she even knows I exist. Yeah, well, hopefully someday she does, and then you get it without the underscore, so That's that true. you properly remember your Twitter <laughs> handle. But I, so I, Ryan Rucco is taken. There's also one account where it's like. I don't know if it's that one, but it's something like that where some it was like a fake account of me where they like copied my picture and stuff like that, but it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, and so Rooks is what um, a lot of my friends call me, and it's also what my like little uh, I call them my nieces and nephews, but my little baby cousins, like my first cousins' kids, call uh-huh. me like Uncle Rooks. So and so people call me Rye Rooks. So I just took two nicknames, put it together, and. Hopefully enough people find it. Although it's you're probably always better off with just the real name, you know? Like because sometimes the nicknames don't come up when people search your name. Like if, not always, but yeah. I think for I think having two separate names for Instagram and Twitter works, especially if you want to be more professional on Twitter mm. and then just kind of give more insight into your personal life on Instagram. So having the separate names I, I right, like good you know you've justified my handle now that's yeah. what I needed thank you I've been helping you out yeah exactly all right so, let's bring it back to sports yeah okay so let's talk a little bit about what happened in the NFL this weekend so Peter and I went down to FedEx Field and saw the Redskins Packers game and it was really interesting our friend Jacob got us onto the sideline thank you Jacob and because we're such big Redskins fans it was so interesting for us to see all of these guys in all of their glory right the Clinton Portises the Joe Jacobis all of these guys walking around, they were like saints, mm-hmm. right? And one of the biggest examples of that, which we didn't realize was going to happen until it did, was when everyone parted and somebody started walking out of the tunnel. And it was almost like our friend behind us said, 
oh my gosh, is that an angel? Because it was Joe Gibbs. <laughs> and it was like he was floating on air coming out of the tunnel. So for Redskins fans, watching all of these guys who in the glory days of the Redskins meant so much to the team and also to the franchise, it, it was just cool to see them. And yeah. it was cool to interact with them. And there weren't too many media members also a lot of the young kids on the sidelines had no idea who these guys were. So we had the advantage of, you know, man fanning a little bit, which was fun. And watching the first quarter of the game from the sidelines was a really unique experience for us, too. You know, I've been part of the playoffs with the Mets this year. But other than that, that's my limited playoff experience in terms of sports. Mm-hmm. So this was, you know, we, we geeked. This was a very... Uh, exciting experience for us. But what I wanted to talk to you about, besides a couple aspects of the game, was before the game, the Skins were a one-point favorite. Mm. So people were essentially saying, because of how the Skins played this year, we like them better than the Packers because of how they've played recently. But how come everyone forgot about the history of how these two teams have played beyond just this season? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know, because it, what it comes down to more than anything else for me, and we saw it in the, in the uh, wildcard weekend, if you have the better quarterback, I'm going to, you know, nine out of ten times pick your team to win. Now, the rare exception might be like in a Seattle-New England case where I love Russell Wilson. He's probably, the, in my opinion, the third best quarterback in the NFL, but I still have Brady ahead of him, and I pick. Seattle in that matchup, you know, that, but for the most part, if there's a glaring difference, I'm going to, and for me, as well as Kirk Cousins played, especially the second half of the regular season, I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers, who is in most people's opinion, and certainly in mine, the best quarterback in the NFL, I'm going to take him. And no matter what I am seeing from the rest of the team at the end of the regular season, when I see that quarterback take the field and it's a mismatch at that position, I'm always going to take the guy who the mismatch is in favor of. And that's what we saw throughout every game, if you looked at it. And that's why the road, think about all the home team, all the home teams lost. Well, why? Well, in the vast majority of the cases, there was a landslide difference between the two quarterbacks, whether it was, you know, Russell Wilson to Teddy Bridgewater. I like Bridgewater. I think he'll be a nice quarterback, but that's a that's a significant difference. Mm-hmm. Alex Smith to whoever the Texans were going to put under center, uh-huh. in this case, Brian Hoyer. Did you see that graphic, by the way, during the game where they swung open the doors for basically it looked like they were coming out of a saloon and they just kept rolling oh, out the guys. It was yeah. like 13. I mean, it was like, you know, a couple different guys but every time that they play in different weeks. And that's never good. Like, if you're changing head coaches and quarterbacks to the point that you have swinging saloon doors... <laughs> That's usually an awful sign. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I was surprised that so many people around Washington, you know, they play well. They were a good defensive team, but uh, there was no way I thought Aaron Rodgers was losing that game, regardless of how they played at the end of the season. And now they also, the Packers looked as good as they've looked in a really long time. And if I was Arizona, I'd be a little bit worried about having to go up against them. Yeah, and I think that they did a really good job of exploiting the Redskins' weakness, which was our run defense, and has been all season. And I was surprised that they didn't come out in the first half and do that better, but they made great adjustments at halftime, which is exactly what a good team does. And because of that, they ended up winning. I mean, I also told Kyle on the podcast last week, if Aaron Rodgers turns back into Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins does the same thing, then we're screwed. And that's essentially what happened. Yeah. But once you got that no-huddle offense, the, you know, the Redskins couldn't handle it. Cousins didn't it have was... a bad game, though. Like, Kirk Cousins wasn't the issue the Redskins lost the game. Yeah, maybe he could have had a better game, but 
329 yards and a touchdown with no interceptions. It's not a bad no, game. No, no, he didn't play poorly. He didn't, but, have, he didn't have a bad game. But when uh, they started to exchange scores back and forth, right? And then when the Packers took the – I forget what score it was, but when they took the lead, that next possession – you know the Redskins needed to respond, and yeah, I they forget, did. And, uh, yeah, and they didn't, and they didn't. I forget if Cousins overthrew an open receiver. He threw what, a guy. He threw behind a guy. Behind, yeah, yeah, behind the he guy threw, over the middle. Right, exactly. He threw some sort of small little shuffle pass that ended up falling flat. He, he, you know, three yards in front of him. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was basically, and the running game, which you're right, was excellent. Was basically immaculate from midway through the second quarter on. Right. And then Cousins was okay, but not as good as he was initially. And and you know what? More than anything else, you're right, Kyle. It was more about the Redskins' defense, inability to stop the Packers. But that offense for the Redskins was not going to be able to match Aaron Rodgers and the Packers' offense once they got humming. And yeah. that's, that's sort of what happened. You, know, you guys just didn't, like you said, the run defense. You had fourth and one, and then Lacey rips a 10-yard run. And then he comes right back and goes 30, and then you hand to Starks' touchdown. And right. at that point, the Redskins just, they were done. And that's been an issue for that team all season. Also, I thought a terrible omen in the first quarter, Sean Jackson not scoring on that touchdown was unbelievable. made an awesome habit of like turning short touchdowns into non-touchdowns. He probably has more of those. If it's ever an official stat... If the analytics people can get on that, he would definitely be the leader between dropping his, it before he gets in yeah, the end zone. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. His flips that you know where he leaves the ball right. Exactly. The hold the ball out and celebrate and leave it right before the goal line. And in this case, you know there are some times where I can understand because you know it, it wasn't the it wasn't the easiest play. He actually, I mean, when he caught it at the ten yard line or whatever, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so fast, he's going to get there. But then you gotta like realize that if you carry it on your outside arm on the outside of the pylon and you step out, it's not a touchdown. Like, you right. need you need to have that you awareness. You need to know that as a football player. Yeah. yeah. I, all he needs to do is like, you know, ever so slightly take it with two hands and boom, he you know and that's stretch it, it in. Yeah. He, he, it was an easy play, and it was you know what they did score a touchdown their next possession, and you know because that went from two to five to eleven after they missed a two point conversion. But obviously, they ended up needing all the points they could possibly get. Yeah. What? What? So that to me was the best loss of the weekend. What other games intrigued you? I loved the Viking Seahawks game. Oh God, I loved it. I loved it. And you know, when I got into like a Twitter, sometimes you know, I'm really good about like on Twitter if people insult me, like not being offended. Except there are things that shouldn't get under my skin that do. Like what? Like. It, it, it's it's personal attack type stuff doesn't usually. Uh-huh. It's more like things where it's like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about because I might have an opinion that, you know, Twitter didn't tell me to have. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, oh, God forbid you went against the pitch mob, pitchfork mob of Twitter and had something to say other than what everyone else is saying. Uh-huh. But so I was saying, like, this is a, uh, you know, a shocking ending to, I think I said incredible game. Maybe incredible is a little bit strong. But... I immediately, this one guy comes back at me. I think he's a writer too. I, you know, some. I don't know if anyone knows he's a writer, but he 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 is one. And he sends me back. Ryan taking shots. Yeah, yeah exactly. He he's sends, not upset though. He's, he's not upset. He sends me back. Oh yeah, nineteen total points. Yeah, the incredible game. And I and I was like, I um, I don't use point totals as my standard for or prerequisite for a game being good. Like, and then he kept coming back. Okay, I guess you love punts, you know. And I'm just like, no, man. Like, and I explained what I loved about it. I love cold weather. Mm-hmm. I love great defense. I love when every possession matters and something's hanging in the balance. 
some big plays, which that game had, mm-hmm. and then I really like a game that isn't you know marred by huge penalties. And other than the pass interference that set up the Vikings' uh, go-ahead field goal attempt at the end, there really weren't a lot of big penalties throughout that game. And it was a clean played, well played in the cold, grit and grind. Then you had a couple crazy plays. You know, it was pretty much a one possession game throughout because when the Vikings go up nine nothing, then we get that Russell Wilson crazy fire drill play where he connects downfield with uh, was it Lockett who ended up making that catch. So I just I love it. Like football in the freezing cold or in the snow for me is great. And well, I came had it. Isn't it unbelievable how you can say one word on Twitter and get completely attacked, and you're not even consciously thinking about choosing your adjectives well because if you do you'll never post anything on twitter ever oh, again i know but you put one word you put incredible because to you it was incredible yeah and people start attacking you for it which i don't know like, get off my back it, and have you guys ever been like i never understand the person who can't accept what someone else likes right you know like if you're like like, I just want you to be passionate about something. If Kyle's like, you know what, man? I love gravel. And he starts going into all these different kinds of <laughs> he gravel. He does. I've seen him eat it. Yeah, before, see, there you go. Big fan. Okay, Big yeah. Big fan. And, all, and, the, like, all the different shades of gray. Can't get enough of it. See? <laughs> and, and, you know, if when I need a driveway done someday, I'm going to know who to call. Yeah. But I but I like, know my stuff. You, like, dude, should I be getting this gravel? No, 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 Rye. You got to go with this one. Like, But, but he, <laughs> here's the thing. Like, I would never say to you, that's ridiculous. Why would you like that? It's like when someone likes a movie... And they're like, ah, you know, you don't have to like the movie they like, but right. it's like, you need to try and convince them that it's actually a terrible movie. No, like, just like, you know what? I didn't love it. Not this movie is bad. You're wrong. I've, I've never understood the person who tries to sour what someone else enjoys. Well, and I wonder what those people's ultimate goal is. Is your ultimate goal to have everyone have the exact same opinion everywhere at every point in feels time? feels that way a little bit, doesn't it? It does. I and mean, what kind of a world is that? It's scary to me. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, this is like... This is an offshoot of that, but I think it's a manifestation of that sort of culture that we are cultivating, and Twitter is a huge facilitator of. But did you guys see that Wisconsin uh, high school uh, ruling where you're not allowed, they're not letting their uh, students cheer like um, Airball was one of them. They're no longer letting their high school students chant Airball when somebody on the other team misses a shot and shoots an air ball. Do you that see what came down funny. today, though? No. Today, they're not letting their fans chant USA because apparently it means you suck ass. What? So they are banning USA, which is upsetting, obviously, a lot more people than Airball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the <laughs> the fans all decided to all dress in black and put duct tape on their faces and take a picture and post it on Instagram, and that's become a, a big thing too. That's but yeah, awesome. it's unbelievable. Like, what are these people thinking? Yeah, who makes those decisions? Like, who? who why are we always so worried about like offending people? Sometimes that's how you get the most interesting conversations and opinions out. It drives me. Nuts. And it goes along with the participation trophies and everything else. And uh, anyway, so the guy who doesn't think, you know, Vikings Seahawks could have been an incredible game. I'm sorry. Depending on your perspective, and mine's one of loving defense and cold weather, it was. <laughs> well, oh, I did not think incre- it was an incredible game. Well, it was you didn't enjoy it? It was an no. incredible ending, also. Yeah, it was To shocking. go on top of that. Do you think the holder is to blame for any of this? I mean, he didn't do his job. Right. So, yes. Um, and everyone's point was that he had held it the same way earlier and he had made a field goal. But that's like saying, I messed up earlier and somebody else still was able to do their job. You still messed up. Right. You exactly. still should have had laces out. Like, that's how your job is supposed to work. 
You just got to do your job. Yeah, you'd it, like to think the kicker would be able to overcome that kind of a thing, though. No like, doubt. If, if if I'm going to blame one person more than the other, I'm going to blame the kicker. Who, sure. you know, he should be able to kick it off the ground and and in from 27 yards away. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the holder didn't do his job. Like he, it's you know, it's an intricate process, but it's not like a complicated process. <laughs> right. And you know, spin the ball. But he, what's weird is he wasn't even trying to get the laces out. He didn't the other time either. It's like, what are you doing, man? That's part of the procedure. He just kept. <laughs> skipping step two and i don't know why but it's like he's uh, never seen ace ventura yeah exactly that, you, that's you skipped over that right. part of your childhood I, I would think that like that would if i was a holder that would always be in my head like, i would have a tattoo to my body yeah would you really yeah i would yeah. as a memory of what to do at all point in time because if you ever forget it this is what happens you know I, I, that was a shocking ending and i always i hate seeing like people fail and a game ending that way, especially in a circumstance like that. Oh my gosh, he missed that so badly too. I mean, he just what totally shank. shanked it. Yeah, he yeah. shanked it. You know, he choked. That's what happened. Yeah. He choked. You know, he stood over a three foot putt and he putted it back onto the fringe. Is basically what he did. He he totally choked. But I hate, I still feel bad for the guy, like having to go through. Oh, that. for sure. I mean, we have hearts, right? Yeah. We're not heartless people. Some of us. Yeah. Some of us. That's right. I can see Kyle. I'm not sure about. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> He, he may not. But me and you, Alexa, we have hearts. We have I hearts. feel like, though, if you scored nine points in a game, half the team didn't also do their job. Like, if your defense only let up ten points and you only scored nine, where was the offense on this entire game? True. And it's not like the Vikings had a terrible offense all year long. They were pretty decent. They, had a, You know, between Stefan Diggs and AP, you kind of could figure some stuff out. They got nothing going this game. You know, I... Every, obviously, people always say, well, you know, no one person loses the game. And and our, earlier this year, I was doing a game with Jeff Van Gundy in Golden State. And I forget what game had just happened with some huge error. It might have been, you know what, it, it might have been the World Series. Mm-hmm. It, it might have been the World Series. And I'm trying to think of what specific moment or error that the Mets made. Murphy not throwing, the, or Duda not throwing home? Yeah, or, or the throw home. No, but the, basically, Duda threw home. He the, just, the, 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 yeah, you're right. It wasn't actual home. Of it, right? yeah. I'm not calling that a throw home. Right. That was yeah. a throw to the stands. That was a souvenir <laughs> throw. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. But, but Jeff's like, you know, people always want to say, oh, you know, he didn't lose the game. You know, it's all these things. No, no, no. Sometimes this guy lost the game. Yeah. Jeremy you know, Hill like, lost the game on Sunday for the Bengals. You know what? Exactly. He doesn't fumble the ball. They win. That doesn't happen. And sometimes it's just true. Like, it, And that, I would say, is even less of the case because you had a minute and 40 seconds left in the game still. But sometimes, like, if I catch the ball and I win mm-hmm. or I drop it and I lose and I drop it, I lost the game. Yeah. Sometimes a result literally comes down to that one play. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, same thing with Lucas Duda. You know, Lucas Duda makes an accurate throw. The guy's out by two, you know, two feet, three feet, whatever. There's a lot of things that happen. Lucas Duda lost the game there on that throw. Yeah. He lost yeah. the game. Like, it's just the way it is. We don't want to say it, but that's the, you know, that's the predicament you put yourself in when you get on a field or a court or on the ice or whatever. So I want to talk about that Bengals game. Speaking of that game. Which was awful. Well, Kyle and I were arguing about it. I said I thought the game was awesome. And to me, having the game be awesome or incredible, it doesn't matter how long of there was a lag period where you weren't enthralled by what was going on. If it comes down to the last two minutes of the game, to me, the game was amazing because so much went into setting that up. You don't get to that point of the last two minutes 
if you if other things throughout the game don't unfold, which is why I love the NBA and a lot of people are don't like the NBA because they say it comes down to the last two minutes. Well, for me, yes, and sometimes it does. But for me, there was so much that led up to those two minutes that you need to pay attention to, you need to be watching in order to enjoy those last two exciting minutes. Kyle, you disagree. Two minutes of entertainment. It wasn't even good football in those last two minutes. It does not make up for 48 minutes of just abysmal football. That was just not a well-played game. It was not fun to watch. I was in a bar paying attention to it a lot at that point just because, and then I was like, oh, the Bengals are about to win, and then Jeremy Hill fumbled, and I was like, oh, this just got interesting. Perfect loses his mind, damn near kills Antonio Brown on the field. I just, at no point did I think this was a great game, and at two minutes when everything went all backwards, I thought it was going to be entertaining again, which it was. It was a little bit entertaining there, but I still just... That doesn't Wait, make hold, up for hold, all of the 48 minutes that we watched that were just not good. But hold on, the, the entire fourth quarter was entertaining. You had a team, you're talking about the last two minutes, which was the crazy part of it, no doubt. But the Bengals were dead and buried in that game. You know, they're, they're, they were down, what is it, 15 nothing, right? And you, it, it looks like Steelers are, no doubt about it, coasting to a win. Cincinnati is going to again lose at home. Again, Marvin Lewis isn't getting out. And then all of a sudden, Big Ben goes down. The Bengals score the initial touchdown. Okay, get a stop, field goal. Then they end up with the touchdown to go ahead with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That whole fourth quarter is insane. And this is all before we end up getting interception, followed by fumble, followed by chaos, fourth and three, conversion. Big Ben can't throw the ball more than five yards down the field. Like, to me, playoffs are about memorable moments. And, yes, the first three quarters of that game, the actual quality of football was trash. But the fourth quarter, not just the last two minutes, the entire fourth quarter was so dramatic. You know, yeah, the Bengals looked like they had the game won in the last two minutes after they get the interception before the Hill fumble. But at the beginning of the quarter, they looked like they were going to get routed by Pittsburgh. And then they come back and put themselves in that position and their rivals. And it was chippy, which I found interesting, too. It got a little dangerous, we know, but, like, it was still interesting. I don't know. I, I Like, yeah, the first three quarters weren't good, but for me, the final quarter saved it. The only game of the weekend that I was just like, wow, that was terrible, was the Kansas City-Houston game. You know? That yeah. was a complete blowout. Yeah, that was an awful the Steelers game. Pulled their, the Steelers pulled off the accelerator in the fourth quarter. Like you just said, they coasted through. Like that... Keep going. Why are you guys? They they stopped. Well, the quarterback got felt, hurt, though. Yeah, you I know, mean, like I mean that I, to me, that's what changed. Big Ben goes down, and all that whole game changes. Then, well, he separates his shoulder, he tears ligaments. Like it wasn't just you know he hurts himself. That he's in jeopardy of missing next week, which is a huge thing for for that team because Landry Jones, as we know, is not a good quarterback. Not very good. No, no. He if Big Ben doesn't play, then that game is over. Well, yeah. no Big Ben, no Brown, you're probably going to watch the Broncos basically do what the Chiefs did this week. Yeah, uh, yeah, something like that, yeah. no, no doubt. If you don't have Big Ben, their whole team is built on Big Ben to Antonio Brown. That, that's that been their, their entire squad this whole year because their defense has not been good the entire season. So if you don't have them, it looks like Brown is iffy. I think Ben's going to end up playing, but how effective will he be? Well, it's, his, it's his throwing shoulder that's hurt, too. Yeah. I don't know. No, I know, I know. How effective can he actually be with that? I'm not sure. He's a tough guy. He's also hurt all the time. All the time. Like, I don't think he gets enough of a demerit from people for how often he's hurt. Not that it's his fault, but that chops into your value. Yeah. Like, if I, 
if I'm going to have to play with a backup quarterback five or six games a year, you are not as valuable to me. Like when people talk Eli Manning versus Big Ben, at their absolute best, do I think Big Ben's probably better? Mm, yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. But it's not even a question who I would rather have. Eli's the Iron Man. Yeah, because Eli's there every single Sunday. He never misses a game. Knock on wood, he never will till he hangs it up. Like, yeah. like to, to me, availability is one of the more underrated parts of uh, any any team, any any league, but especially the quarterback position. So I'm going to say something that's a little bit crazy from that game. You? Crazy? I agree with Pac-Man Jones, and I think Antonio Brown was initially faking it when he got hit. Now, if you look back at the tape, the hit was dangerous, and it looked like it was going to be bad. But the way Antonio Brown went down... He, his arms were up and raised as if that's what he thought he should do when you go down and you're concussed. And then he got right back up and he was, I mean, and he was okay. I don't think he misses next week. And I do think that there was some acting there. I agree with, with Pac-Man. I don't think that that's a legal hit, but I do think that there was some acting there. Wait, but he's, he, but he's been medically diagnosed he's with a concussion, concussion protocol though, right? right now. Yes, but I still think that he took it to a different level trying to get as much out of that hit as he could, and he did. He succeeded in doing exactly what he wanted to do. I'm not saying that he didn't get hit in the head, because he did, but I think that he knew what to do when he went down, and he played up the fact that he was concussed. I don't know. I mean, I I could see where players sell things at times, like, but in that moment, I think when you get smacked in the head, and yeah, granted, it's a little bit different than your head-on collision, right? Like, he's perfect, just coming from the side, and he's sort of like just throwing his shoulder into his head as he's as he's jutting across. But it's hard on replays too. I feel like even if they do them real speed, to appreciate the torque that that you know whips your head back when a guy's flying across the middle. I mean. Also, Burfick is, I mean, he he's nasty with this stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, the hit he had on Baltimore the week before, he's lucky he was able to play in this game because he is a violent, violent player. So, well, there's a reason he was undrafted. I'll tell you what, I, I don't agree with, I don't agree with you or Pac-Man on that, uh-huh. but I do agree with Pac-Man about his emotions with Porter being on the field. Yeah. And I I honestly, I don't think, I don't have a huge problem with it, but I don't, I don't think they needed to throw that flag on Pac-Man for, uh, you know, kind of shoving Joey Porter because that was one of those kind of middle-of-the-field scrums. Everybody's a little bit involved. Nothing crazy is happening. Pac-Man comes flying in, throws a little bit of a shove. He didn't throw a punch. You know, that kind of stuff happens a lot. It's a big moment. You've already knocked them for one 15-yarder. If I was him, I'd be really upset, and I think he'd have a little bit of a case, although he should have just kept his cool about that one. But the other thing is this. Okay, so let, let, let's let say let's say he was acting, Antonio Brown, though, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But he does have a concussion. The hit was still an illegal hit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who cares, right? I don't I, the, the, only, the only reason I care is because everyone's getting on Pac-Man through for everything that he did, and I agree with you. I don't think that they should have thrown the flag. Joey Porter shouldn't have been on the field. What do you like? What's your role there in that situation? There's no, no reason for you to be there. Yeah, instigator. That's it. So he's instigated on that play, and he gets the 15 yard penalty. And then he goes on after and says that this was a situation where 
He thought that he was acting, and I agree with him. So I don't understand why everyone's attacking Pac-Man. He didn't really do anything wrong to me. And this guy has worked so hard to come back from an image of being basically a thug as he was branded in the media. He's changed so much of his demeanor, of how he treats people. And Marvin Lewis has done a great job keeping him under control and keeping all of his actions on the field, you know, legal. I, I just... I. It pains me so much to see a guy be thrown under the bus and take all of this blame for something that I don't even really think he deserves blame for. You know what? Here's the thing. He has so many knocks against him, fair knocks against him throughout his life, that anytime something goes against him, he's he will never get the benefit of the doubt. And I don't feel bad for him about that because that's what you do. When you step out of line, when, I mean, he was involved in some serious bad stuff. Yeah. And when you do that for a number of years, no matter how hard you work to get your image back, and you're right, he has like, you know, uh, certainly made strides from where he was and no doubt about it, it's a miracle that he's actually been able to just stay on an NFL field and in line enough to do that, right? But when you do anything that's a little bit outside, I can't feel I, I don't feel bad about people not getting him giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's he's the one who punted that away early on. You know, if he he's the one who earned that reputation that will follow him at least in part forever based on the way he acted early. But I would have liked to see them only give the one flag. I didn't need the second one on Pac-Man. That's the one thing I was like, eh, that was a little bit, a little bit much. Yeah, I was happy that they kept Marvin Lewis though after the game. They Me made too. It yeah, yeah. Everybody. It was such a smart decision though, too, yeah. right? Because everyone was killing him. Everyone was saying he's gone. A very snap decision by everyone who was making that judgment. He didn't yep. fumble the ball. Like, I don't, yeah, right, exactly. With his well, backup think, quarterback, he had them in position to win the game. Yeah. But I think his record in the playoffs is where everyone was attacking him. seven, yeah. But listen, they went from nowhere and being a you know in the basement of that division to now being a perennial franchise Absolutely. team. So. He's, made a, he's made a good team, and Andy Dalton is his starting quarterback. Yeah, so, right. Look, he, what are you holding against him? Yeah. He took What you just said is the exact point. Alexa, he he took over a team that was a doormat, a perpetual doormat, and he has made them a perennial contender. And while they're losing these games in the playoffs, like they've had some last year, they didn't have AJ Green. This year, they didn't have Andy Dalton. There are some mitigating circumstances. Do I think he makes some strange decisions at times in games? Yeah, like when they lost to the Jets a few years ago in the playoffs, he had two of the worst challenges I've ever seen from any NFL head coach. But the fact yeah. of the matter is, he has sustained success with that group now over and over and over again. So I, I think they made the right move keeping him. Yeah. I want to talk about Tom Coughlin for a second. Yeah. And I saw that you tweeted out that article from the Players' Tribune yeah. of the eight players who wrote articles talking about their relationship with Coughlin. Which one was your favorite? They were all good. But I'd say probably the Justin Tuck one. Okay. Because Justin Tuck talks about how Tom told them the night before the Super Bowl, he's starting off with uh, the second Super Bowl they won, 46, starting off with the fiery speech, and all of a sudden he like kind of like mellows out, and everyone's like, what's going on here? And then he tells them that he loves them. And, you know, Tuck's like, that was like, whoa. You know, you don't usually, this is like football. We don't, we don't say things like this. Mm-hmm. And I love that, and it was interesting because then at the end of Strayhands, I'm sure he didn't know what Tuck wrote, and he starts talking about how at the end of his career, he would tell Coughlin that he loved him. He's like, because I do. I, mm-hmm. I really love that man. I don't think I'd have the success that I had today, you know, without him. So that I love that. Yep. I thought that was great. How about you? 
I liked the Steve Weatherford story yeah, about yeah, how when one. Coughlin was telling him, you know, he went up to Coughlin and was like, we're going to freaking kick this and we're going to the freaking Super Bowl. And Coughlin was like, just do your job. Just focus on exactly what you need to do right now. Just go do your job. And he was like, holy crap. He totally focused me back onto exactly what I needed to do. And I made it. And that's where that celebration came from that he's so famous for. I love the backstory from that celebration. And to have that be a part of the story, along with all of the other, you know, father figure stories and the uh, love you stories were were awesome. Did you see that article? Yeah, I read the whole thing. Yeah, what'd you think? Of course I did. I I loved the Strahan one. The Strahan one was just great because, you know, the personality that Strahan was, he didn't hide from it on like on the field. He carried that same. He's a very big personality. And then Coughlin comes in and. You know, you thought that Tiki and Strahan were going to be on the same page and we don't like this guy. And they kind of were for a little while. And then Strahan was just like, this guy's going to make me a champion. And I we're going to we're going to figure it out. And they did. Yeah. You know, I, I really do think that the relationship he had with Strahan made Coughlin into the coach he was after the first Super Bowl. Like I, that the two of them worked with each other. So a lot of credit goes to the way Strahan sort of was like, you can't be this old curmudgeon guy that you were. You have to adapt to the new league that sort of exists with all of like these personalities and the Twitters and Facebooks and all like you have to adapt to this. This is the people we are now. And Coughlin gave an inch and they all sort of just they took it and ran and created this new sort of dynamic at the team. If you think about it, like Strahan and Coughlin, in some ways, their the perception that people had of both of them totally flipped and and, and was improved by how their relationship improved. You know, mm-hmm. what you just said, Kyle's totally right about kind of that being saved, changing Coughlin and the way he coached moving forward. He created that leadership council where he wanted to hear from all the veterans because of the feedback he got from Strahan, became more personal, started asking guys about their family lives and everything, right? And we ended up looking at Tom Coughlin almost as like this, you know, surrogate uncle for all New York football fans or grandpa, right? No, we're all Giants fans. And the players ended up seeing him the same way. And for Strahan, if you remember, like as talented as he was, Michael Strahan was not thought of to be the most, I don't know if you'd want to say, he had personality always, but there was like, there was some negativity to that personality as well. He could be, he could be short with the media. He could be sarcastic with the media. You remember the one time he called out Kelly Naki, uh, the ESPN reporter, and it became a big thing because of the way he talked to her because of the male-female implications mm-hmm. as well. And he was not necessarily this likable guy, even though he had a big personality. And he sort of developed that incredible likability at the end of his career and worthiness of being a captain and being a leader. And that coincided, I think, with him and Tom Coughlin getting on the same page. And for Strahan, it ballooned into something so much more because then he ended up becoming about as likable a guy as we see on TV. Mm-hmm. And he has all these gigs that are specifically just for you being like this effervescent, glowing personality. Like that's what his gig is now. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know if he could have got to that place if him and Tom Coughlin didn't end up getting on the same page. So when he says, I don't know if I'd be here without Tom, I think he's probably right. Now, like he's to me, he's like one of the most joyful people to watch yeah. on television. Yeah. When I was interviewing Chris Carlin, I was asking him about Strahan. And when I then was talking to Eric Legrand later, I incorrectly said that Carlin had said that Strahan was a bad guy, which is not true. But he was saying that 
when the lights go off, he's a different person. And I know that him and Strahan had a strayed relationship because Carlin criticized his sack record. And when that all came out, you know, Strahan gave him kind of looks and there was some contention there. Mm. And Carlin was kind of like, listen, it's not the kind of guy he is now. He's definitely changed, but don't get it wrong. He wasn't always the guy he is now. And yeah, like you said, I think that's a perfect example. His relationship with Coughlin really changed Coughlin and also changed himself all for the better. When you heard that Coughlin was fired, what was your reaction? That it was time. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so, you know, like some relationships have expiration dates and some don't, right? And either way, it doesn't necessarily change the, the journey or how you view it. But you can't be an organization that has a standard of, championship standard, a standard of excellence, and continually do the same exact thing without any kind of shift it. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't... If you were asking me who do I think is more responsible for what happened this year, I would say Jerry Reese. I, I absolutely believe that you know Jerry Reese is more responsible for what took place this season with the Giants, and his draft record has become abominable. I mean, that's just by the facts. All these numbers are coming out now to support. Is this last week now? Yeah, like, literally you're supporting everything that Kyle said really? last week I really on the like podcast. It. I really like it when I get vindication yes, on the podcast. It's you, great. Well, that's what I'm here to vindicate Thank you. To vindicate Kyle. But uh, you don't think JPP not really being around and Victor Cruz being out didn't have a bigger well, that's, impact? That's fallings on... Reese again, because yeah, he didn't you, have people in place to step up for... You couldn't have counted on JPP getting injured like that. It was no, a free, a ca- it's a free accident, and I, I'm really not putting it on him. But when your entire defense hinges on one guy, that's kind of an issue. Like, you don't have a linebacker that can come in and create that similar type of pressure. Yeah, you've got two good corners. You still need to get to the quarterback. David Ayers only became a really good player when JP, when the threat of JPP, even with one hand was on the opposite side of the field. So you didn't draft quality. You didn't draft backup quality players later in the draft. Like after, yeah, he got Odell Beckham, which, amazing draft pick. Uh, Pew might be good. You know, all the other guys he's got on the offensive line might be the first rounder with Flowers this year, too. He's a good left tackle. Are you saying that Reese should have gone with Coughlin? Um... I don't... Because that was my question to Kyle. Because Kyle said the exact same thing, that it was Reese's fault this season. But to me, if you fire the GM and the head coach, and I know Coughlin officially resigned, so I'm not getting that incorrect. I'm just saying I know know what happened behind the scenes. Let's be honest, he got fired. If you get rid of both your GM and your head coach i.e. the Nets, that you know very well, <laughs> you're cleaning house. You're yeah. saying we're starting over. This has not worked for us, and we are. We need to go in a completely different direction. Yeah, no, you are. I, 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 and look, here's the, but here's the difficulty of it. I don't mind what the Giants did because they kind of put Jerry Reese on notice, and maybe they're going to make some changes within his staff or how they run their football operations or player personnel, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that, like putting somebody on notice at, at some point. However, the difficulty is, by doing it this way, so you get rid of Tom Coughlin. In theory, you are going to hire somebody who you want to be around for a very long time to be your next head coach, right? All right, let's say year one doesn't go as well as you're hoping, okay? Let's say you miss the playoffs yet again. Now, is Jerry Reese getting fired next year if you miss the playoffs? And that was my exact point. Well, if you put him on notice like this, yeah, you would think so. Right. And so then you're going to have to 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 hire a GM who's inheriting a head coach. That's where my issue came from. But that was my point to you that the GM wants to bring in his guys. He wants to have that's what his position is. So then why are you getting rid of Coughlin? 
at keeping the GM, then bringing in a new head coach. Things don't, like we hope things go well and we go, okay, everything's great again. You know, Reese keeps his job. He's here for however long. But if things go bad, you are now in a Jets-like position where you kept the head yep. coach, you brought in the GM, that didn't go well, now you fire everyone, now you're back to your thing, you're a year on now with Eli, and who doesn't have a ton of time left of playing at the level that he does play at, now you're saying, now we're really rebuilding. Like, to get rid of the head coach and the GM in the current Giants situation where they're only a few good players away from actually being that championship quality team, you could get rid of your GM and head coach, bring in two new guys. You're not rebuilding. You're just rebranding your idea of football because you still have so many good players that you're just missing a few holes. It's, t- it's tough because and, and that's why like logically there is uh, there's a lot to it that says you should have kept them both for one more year if you weren't going to fire them both. And there's a huge part of me that says, even though I felt like it was time for Tom because I felt like they needed that change, and it just feels like they've been banging their head against the wall doing the same thing for three years now and sort of six out of seven years, mm-hmm. but really these last three, there's a huge part of me that says, man, like all these games they lost late, yeah, he made some specific mistakes at times, but is it a huge credit to him, and I think it probably is, that they were even in position to win these games with the lack of talent they have? Like, yeah. how much of that was Tom Coughlin and his excellent coaching? It, just like when Andy Reid, you knew it was time for him to leave Philadelphia, but you still knew he was a really good coach and he's proving it out in Kansas City. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about Coughlin with the Giants. Like, it just may have been time here, but I still believe in him as a coach. And so it's like, should you have fired him? But the one thing I'd say about how I, the, the timing and why it could make sense, Jerry Reese has never hired a coach. You know, Jerry Reese has been the general manager since 2007, but he has never hired a head coach. Yeah. That is so rare yeah. for a GM to be that long tenured yeah. and not have hired a head coach at any point. So maybe John Maris thinking is like, yeah, he's on the hot seat and I better see better results, but I want to give him a chance. I believe in him enough and there's enough equity in there, even though recent track record is bad that I want to give him a chance to hire a coach and see what he can do for that. you know. And so maybe it's not one year and out for Jerry. Maybe he ends up getting two years to to try and work this new regime and, and, and mold whatever they want to mold. But it, it, you could be in a situation where he gets fired after one and then you have a new GM coming in who, what do you do with the head coach? Well, I think what could end up happening that could be in the Giants' favor is if they promote offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo and... Jerry Reese and Ben don't perform next season, then you are kind of justified in getting rid of Reese because you would put him on the hot seat. And Ben McAdoo, if you don't perform, eh, it's okay because you were like your offensive coordinator. It's not like we went out and hired <clears throat> some guy who, you know, That's a deserved point, a big a, a, a chance. Yeah. McAdoo, we've given you a good amount of chances here as the offensive coordinator. You haven't done too much. I mean, if we want to give you a chance at the head coaching job because fine but if you get if you have him for one season you won't feel that bad about getting rid of both of them you know what that's a good point if if, if it's McAdoo which it seems like right now he's you know the favorite well Jackson's going to the bank or yeah. to the Browns right now so. yeah exactly so you're losing one of those candidates I know they're also apparently interested in Doug Marone I don't know how I feel about that but if it's McAdoo who ends up getting the job then maybe you're right because it probably would be oh, it definitely would be easier to cut bait with him than somebody else who you're bringing into the organization that really is a completely different feel. McAdoo almost feels like a a continuation or a sidestep from what you've been doing in the past. Right. So if it doesn't work out, it's just like all right, you know what? 
everything we're that done. we've Everyone been doing. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now we're getting a whole new regime. Yeah. And and he may you know he may not be as expensive as say if you were trying to lure a David Shaw from Stanford or Nick Saban from Alabama. So right. Yeah, maybe there's some there's some logic to that. Yeah. Do you think Tom Coughlin ends up in Philadelphia? I don't. 49ers. Oh, I uh, want it to I want it to happen so bad. Philly, the worst. Oh. Wow, you're a Redskins fan. That's going to be good for the Eagles. I know, but I love this, you know, when head coaches change teams in the division. It's like my favorite thing to watch. Schultz, take joy in my misery watching the two Eagles games well, versus the Giants seeing Coughlin and Green. That'll be super exciting to me. I mean, I can't get enough of Rex Ryan and when he comes back to play the Jets, and we'll talk about that That's in a minute. True. But, but, he, but here's the big difference for that, and this yeah. is why if I was Coughlin, I wouldn't do it, even though he wants to keep coaching. He goes to Philadelphia. His best-case scenario is... Winning a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. right? Let's say he wins a Super Bowl for the Eagles. What happens to him coming back as a giant now? The only guy who won a Super Bowl for the Eagles now tries to come back into the Meadowlands and Look, get his name in the Ring of Honor, which he he will. undoubtedly deserves. Yeah, he'll but he'd be, be booed. Yeah, if he's the guy who gives the Eagles their first Super Bowl, I, Giants fans are not going to be celebrating him the same way they do now. Right now, he's a giant. You know, he was he, he he was a positions coach that won a Super Bowl in the Parcells days. He's won two as a head coach here. He's 12 years. He's the second winningest coach in their history. He's a New York giant. You go and you do something great for the Eagles, which maybe he wouldn't, but that would be his goal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And his ultimate goal would totally sully the relationship with the giant fans. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to him, but... If it does, I would avoid that situation and go somewhere else where, you know, the perfect situation for him, if Detroit ends up somehow getting rid of Caldwell, and I don't know where they're on that because they were supposed to meet at some point coming up, but if they, which is weird why they do it so late, I have no idea, but let's say they do fire Caldwell, that would be a perfect situation for Tom Coughlin. Mm -hmm. Detroit, they have a lot of ready-made talent. He can clean that place up and I think take them where they need to go. But Philadelphia, I don't think, has a talent, and I don't think the best-case scenario for him is one that's good for what he's already established. They also don't have a great quarterback, which is what no. he would look for. I, I, no. said, I said last week that he should have gone to Miami, which I thought would have been a good fit for him. Yeah. Jarvis Landry is essentially Odo Beckham Jr. in the making. He's great. And uh, and Ryan Tannehill, I think, yeah. With, it's good with enough. His, yeah. yeah. And with he, his record he, for quarterbacks, he could... He could help them, and they have they have talent down there. And yeah. this year, they severely underperformed. That would have been a better fit. Yeah, but alas, yeah. they hired somebody but, else. But it didn't happen, it didn't unfortunately, happen. for Tom. Yeah. yeah, I hope he doesn't go to Philly, though. That would be bad. As much as you might like it, Alexa. Us Giants fans don't want to have to deal no, with that. No, not at all. Mm-mm. So, let's switch gears to the NBA real quick. Are you going to yell at children right now? I am going to yell at children right now. Well, a child, per se. So... I'm usually not a huge hater, and I don't like to be a hater, but a lot of the times I end up being a hater. This is going to be a prime example of that. It's nice self-evaluation, by the way. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) The kid that was caught crying on national television when Kristaps Porzingis was drafted Mm -hmm. has now taken it upon himself to make himself the number one Kristaps Porzingis fan. He took a selfie with Porzingis. He is promoting himself as... Kristaps Porzingis, number one dream fan. He's on Instagram as crying uh, NBA fan, I think is his Instagram account. Actually, I'm not going to promote that, so I'm not going to look up what it actually is. <laughs> he, This kid, I don't know how old he is, six or seven. I don't care. He needs to get parents that know better. Wow. He, he <laughs> needs to realize that when you do something as bad as what you did 
on national television and got caught. Well, let's not say bad. How about immature? Like just crying and getting. I can't your say way. immature to a seven year old because that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, bad. I, I mean, you did something bad. You're seven years old, nine years old, however old you are. You did something bad because that's the only language he's going to understand. And I hope he listens to this podcast because this is a, a very serious he, allegation. He also here. runs. He's the, listening to, to, to Mama Alexa right now. That's right. That's, that's he he runs the That's What She Said fan club. So <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be his new handle. To then now be super pro Porzingis and have this all come for full circle and have it be a media, you know, love story makes me sick. It makes me so nauseous. This kid should be crucified for the rest of his life for crying when a player was drafted for his team. First of all, he knows nothing about Porzingis uh, at, at this time when he's, you know, caught crying. He doesn't know what Porzingis can do. He's never seen him play. He's never even heard of him. And you're emotional for what? First of all, where are his parents? Are his parents in the room at all? Are you standing next to your son watching him scream and cry? Get your kid under control or get him out of there. You shouldn't be allowed at the draft. <laughs> you're so fired up right now. I don't understand why everyone sees this as such a lovey-dovey story. Oh, it was so cute. He was crying and now they're best friends taking selfies. No, you should never be allowed at a Knicks game. You should be banned from MSG. Well, I hate it. I hate this. You, you, uh, how old is he actually? Do we know? I'm not, I'm not sure. By the way, his he's, name's Jordan, so go ahead and live that down. Okay, so he's under 10? Yeah, definitely under 10. So so. I can't crucify a kid the way you apparently can, (laughs) Alexa, for crying about anything. Because if I go through and had detailed what I cried over pre-10 years old, I'm sure I'd find some fairly ridiculous things. Yeah, I do, and I never would have cried over something so silly. Yeah, but didn't you have like mood swings where you were like, I hate broccoli, and then like a day later you had broccoli, and you were like, oh, this is actually awesome. Like, you never had like those... That's what this kid did. I had he that had, with beer and wine as yeah. I got older. Like, oh, this tastes nasty. Oh, this tastes oh my so gosh, bad. this is amazing. Did you ever scream and cry about it? No, but I was like, you know, maybe after I was twenty-one at the time. So you know, I mean, at twenty-one, I was much more mature. But I, but I, I like, I definitely there were like there were different because I, I was this kind of fan. I in two thousand seven, so I wasn't that young when the the, the bugs game with Jabba Chamberlain. I didn't cry, but like I, I was wearing a T-shirt that I ripped apart with my teeth while it was on my body in half, <laughs> like because of the way that game ended. Uh-huh. I when the Giants lost the 49ers in the playoffs and the Trey Junkin game in 2002 after the Giants blew that enormous lead, Strand pointed the scoreboard to To and everything. Uh-huh. I again did the like shirt on my body, pull it off, like yeah, but that's uh, cool. No, yeah, that's but, cool. Yeah, to but me. that's still that's still a tantrum. Yeah, it's a tantrum. And my point is that was the manifestation as I was a little older, like. When I actually, when the Yankees lost in this, this is ridiculous, but kind of speaks to the point. When the Yankees lost in two thousand one, I was twelve. No, I was fifteen years old. Okay, okay. when they lost in the two thousand one World Series, and when they lost to the Diamondbacks, I went up to my room and I had this little watch case. Okay, okay can you stop for one second? Yeah, you were in your room. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, continue. Okay, I was in my room, Mm -hmm. and and I had this watch case, and there was like all the different logos of all the teams in Major League Baseball, and I took a pen, and I immediately just like scraped out (laughs) this this the Diamondbacks logo uh, on the watch case because this was somehow going to make everything okay, and Game Seven didn't happen, you know. Uh And then I was like, it does none of the other, and I'm crying. Uh None of the other championships matter. I was 14 (laughs) actually. Like if they, they didn't win this one, the other three in a row we just got didn't matter. I mean, that's like that's embarrassing looking back on it but i was 14 a big fan whatever 
So I can't kill the kid for being six or seven years old and crying. I'm sure there's no path of logic to why he cried. He cried because he's a little kid. But making him into a celebrity or a star and promoting himself afterwards for being the crying kid, now that I agree with you on. That's ridiculous. I hate when we give credit to people who don't do anything anyway. Yeah. In the Daily News article that like did all this, I do love that Porzingis was quoted as saying uh, that he wanted to make sure to take the picture with the kid because he knew Twitter would go crazy. I like that Porzingis... Well, I like Porzingis' take I, on yeah, it. I like that Porzingis has like the thought to just go... Oh, this is going to make people go insane, and I can just do it. Because Porzingis is, a, you know, he's a kid himself. He's not that old, so he's eminently likable, though. Yeah, he, he really, no, he is. really is. He, he's he's an awesome dude. I, I just I like that he's having fun with that situation. Yeah. Okay, I'm more mad at the kid's parents, honestly, because it was a public <laughs> it was a public place. Really it wasn't in your room, right? You were you were in your room doing exactly what you were doing, crossing stuff off, whatever. This kid was in a public place, and if you've ever watched the Knicks draft, you know that the cameras are going right to, to Knicks fans to get their reaction the instant that the draft's name is called. I'm sure there were a bunch of adults that were crying though too. They just didn't find. Them. No, there weren't. It was just uh, this kid. Been, when Porzingis was gra- drafted, my Facebook feed blew By up. By the way, this kid's, kids, this kid's dad is also on Instagram as father of crying. Well, no, that's, that's, so, that's ridiculous. Come on, that's right? Awful. Okay, let's go from Jordan to Kobe, and I want to nice. ask you about this situation where you got Kobe shoes when you were younger for Christmas and oh. slept with them like stuffed animals. Yes. What yeah, happened? So okay, so I'm like, first of all. I'm weird. Second of all, like <laughs> I, I, I'm a huge Kobe fan, like uh-huh. a diehard Kobe fan. And, and growing up, um, he was my favorite player. I'm 29 now, so um, figure like when I was, you know, when he came into the league, I used to watch, stay up late and watch the Laker games on, you know, West Coast when they were on national TV. This is pre-HD. And... You could never tell the difference between like Kobe and Eddie Jones in those early years because Eddie Jones wore number six. They both had the kind of the sleek bodies. Like they weren't usually on the floor together. They played similar positions, kind of a two three. Yeah. And I used to be like, is that Kobe? Yeah, it is. And get excited if it was him and then find out like after a May bucket, I'll be like, yeah. And then it was Eddie Jones. I'm like, oh, like, you know, <laughs> I lived and died with every Kobe bucket. Uh-huh. So anyway, I was basketball uh, was um, at that time. Baseball eventually was my best sport. But at that time, basketball was probably like neck and neck with baseball. So I, I really wanted to get like Kobe's sneakers when I was in um, seventh grade. And uh, he came out with the crazy eights. Like I, th- I think it, if it wasn't his first Adidas sneaker, it was one of his first, and it was like the first big one on my radar. Mm-hmm. So Christmas morning, first of all, any present I open, I always do like this is weird, but like my parents <laughs> could tell you, like I, I, my sister could tell you, and she's just like, you're so strange. Yeah, I'll always like unless it's a, a DVD or a book or something. Like I'll always like like smell it. <laughs> And like rub it on my face, like, I, like I, not just cashmere either. Like, it, like, like I, I love thin hoodies, and like any thin hoodie I ever get, like when I buy it, I like smell it and just like rub it on my face. I don't know why. Like, I have no idea why, but I like the sensation of the softness or whatever. So I get the, sh- I open the Christmas present and I get these shoes, and I'm so jacked up. Immediately, I like I'm smelling them, and it smelled great, like new sh- new sneaker smell. And then they had the, the these little white rubber, um, kind of like sidings that were like so smooth. And I'm like rubbing them on my face, like because that's what I do. <laughs> and and then that night, I was like I um, like sometimes I would want to sleep with like 
a big Christmas present or whatever, you know, typically as a young child, that was like a stuffed animal or like an action figure or something like that. Uh-huh. And I was like, I want to sleep with my Kobe sneakers. So if I was going to sleep with sneakers, the logical way to sleep with them would probably be to put them on my feet. Uh-huh. But no, the way I decided to sleep with them was as if they were a stuffed animal <laughs> there instead of a pair of sneakers. And I literally slept like hugging my sneakers as if I was hugging a teddy bear. <laughs> but instead, it was just my Kobe sneakers. And I think I did this like two for the first like two or three days after Christmas. And uh, and finally, I, I I let go of that. But like when I look back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that, you are so weird, man. Like that is a even a seventh grader. Like that's a strange. I mean, that's not that young. Like that's a that's a bizarre thing to do. Like, <laughs> but I loved Kobe and I loved the sneakers. And then we went undefeated in those sneakers uh, in my, on my junior high team when I started at point guard. So it kind of all worked out. It did all work out. But it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Can I tell you one other weird feet thing? Yes, uh, yes. And then I want to ask you something else weird okay. that you do that okay. I okay. Am right, good. very, very interested. <laughs> So, like, I, my parents could tell you, like, I'm awful with common sense. Like, I'm, I'm really good at, like, organizing things. For, like, you know, when we do a vacation with my friends or something, I, I take care of everything, right? But when it comes to, like, common sense thing, like, you know, light bulb needs to be fixed. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Well, light bulb. This is, I'm not dealing with this. It's a light bulb, you know? I mean, like, anything breaks, forget it. So, I... I uh, get really bad dry skin. Mm-hmm. And especially in like seventh and eighth grade, it was awful because I was always playing basketball, mm-hmm. always outside, cold winters, and my knuckles would just bleed because I'm like obsessive compulsive. So I wash my hands constantly. And then you go outside, they're wet, bam, blood, right? And mm-hmm. so I'd be playing basketball, like blood dripping down. So anyway, we, we you got to like deal with that, right? And I would never use moisturizer really. My mom's finally like, you got to like put hand cream on, Ryan. This is disgusting. Your knuckles are cracked, bleeding everywhere. I'm like, all right. She's like, you know, one tactic you can do like to help kind of speed the process, put hand cream on. Mm-hmm. Then put a sock over your hands and sleep with them with, the sock over the hand cream and that'll help speed the process up Mm -hmm. i'm like okay too except for i'm explaining to you the way it actually went she just said put the hand cream on and wear socks and then that'll speed up the process Mm -hmm. okay because i don't connect these things i'm (laughs) i'm 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 not logical so the next morning i get up my mom's like "Uh, did you try the the hand cream with the socks and i was like yeah but I forgot to put the hand cream on. And she's like, so you just wore socks on your hand and expected that to heal them? And I said, no, I wore the socks on my feet. (laughs) And she she was like, are you kidding me right now? Wait, Ryan, Ryan, you you cannot be this dumb. You just can't. You're a smart kid. You can't be this dumb. God's the honest truth. I wore socks on my feet, no hand cream on my hands, and somehow thought that was going to heal my bleeding knuckles. That is amazing. <laughs> so in doing some research uh, about you, digging for dirt, as I like to say, even though I'm never really trying to get dirt on anyone, <laughs> I talked to Peter, too, and he was like, make sure you ask Ryan about the weird vocal exercises he does before oh, he goes yeah. on. Okay, so explain what's going I, on. Like, I come with instructions. Um, I So, <laughs> I... I uh, so before, I actually should have done it pre-podcast here. Um, the That's What She Said podcast. But I, so sometimes I'll have vocal issues, right? Where you just feel like you can't hit your, like, 
full gear, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, doing a lot of play-by-play, that's especially taxing for the voice, okay? Mm-hmm. And then doing, um, you know, talk shows as well. Eventually, it just wears on you, whatever. And I'm, like, so particular about where I go out and it can't be too loud and all this stuff, because especially if I'm around a, a game coming up, because I want to make sure I have my, my best chops. So um, I've gone to vocal uh, therapy before, and I learned these exercises, and they just help kind of warm up your voice. So I will do them right before I broadcast and right after I broadcast. Now, obviously, I'm not in the comfort of my own home as I'm doing this. I'm sitting at the broadcast table, courtside in an NBA game, going like this. Over and over and over again. Then I do this, where I take my thumbs and press them into my cheeks, and it, like, loosens up the jaw. And then I also take, you find, like, I forget, some with an H-bone, it's called. Uh, like, find your um, like Adam's apple, and just above it, there's some kind of H-bone. I forget what it's called. And you just put your head down and rub that as well. And there's a few others that I do sometimes, too, but I always have this routine. So uh, I was doing a game earlier this year at Dayton with Jeff Van Gundy, and, like, I got done with the game, and I had forgotten to do my exercises and we were going straight to the airport and he was driving a rental car and I was with him. I was like, Hey man, like, do you mind if I like do these vocal exercises? I forgot to do them. And he's like, no, 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 of course, do whatever. So I'm sitting next to Jeff Van Gundy oh driving the car going. <laughs> and so eventually I finish and, and he's just like very calmly. And Jeff is very like Seinfeldian dry, like great sense of humor. He's like very calmly like, so, uh, how many of those do you do? I'm like, well, you know, like 10 or something. And you do that all the time, huh? Like, you're just like, <laughs> like calmly asking me through it. But I'm crazy with my voice. I go to a vocal masseuse. Uh-huh. This girl, this woman, Christine Patterson, she's unbelievable. She works with like all the Broadway singers and stuff. And she literally works on my larynx for an hour. And like my mouth, she sticks her fingers in your mouth. She puts gloves on first for that. But like, you know, like just like to loosen everything up. It's incredible the difference you feel. Because you're a vocal athlete, you know? If you perform on air, whether you do or you do, Kyle, or the first you I was pointing to, radio audience, was Alexa, or I do, <laughs> you know? Like, that's what, especially, like, in my case, I'm doing play-by-play constantly. Sometimes I'll do two games in a day, talk shows, all that. Like, you're a vocal athlete. Mm-hmm. And those muscles, like, develop, you know, a version of adhesions or whatever. You need to break it up to get the full stretch of your muscle. So now I have, like, a full team that I like, a really high-maintenance, ridiculous. Like, you wonder why I'm still single. Like, I come with instructions. <laughs> but, like, this is, this is, this is like, a, a, a key thing for me. Like, I just need my voice to feel good in order to, like, kind of smoothly go through my routine. So Peter also mentioned that you were single and <laughs> was, was saying that you perhaps needed some dating advice. Yeah. If, Do you have if, some for me, Alexa? Well, um... I don't know about the vocal exercises, but maybe mention those like on the third or fourth date. I don't uh, know that it would come right out like away. the first date. Yeah, no, you I just talk start about off them. with Dave. Just <laughs> <laughs> the first date, the first go. What? So how how has dating been going for you recently? Are you doing online, the Tinder and? I've never done online. Okay, I, 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 don't, I don't blame you. But, yeah, I mean, huh. like I guess at this point it's so common and accepted. Like I just should because it's just like you know a more focused walking into a bar right like it's it's a it's a easier way to narrow the scope but for some reason i've always had and it's probably a it's probably incorrect but i've always thought like oh you're like a semi-public figure like do you really want to be 
like on there. Like, right. I, I don't know. Like, I've just always, that's felt like eh, maybe I shouldn't. No, I agree. I, um, I feel that way. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, so, like, I'll go on. It's funny. Like, on when I was on one day with Peter and uh, Michael, I said, like, oh, I'm a serial first dater. And somebody tweeted at me and was like, you shouldn't be telling everyone that you constantly have one night stands. That's unprofessional. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. anybody who knows me knows it's not me at all. Uh-huh. Like I'm much too paranoid for that. <laughs> so I was like, no, no, no. Like I, I, what I mean is I like, I'll go on a date, but then unless I'm like immediately enthralled, my schedule's so busy that I don't like follow up with something that was just like, okay. So you'd like to do what I call the dinner interview. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like, I have, I, I, I'll, like, usually what I'll do is, like, I'll go meet a girl, like, for a drink, and I'll do it someplace where I know they also have good food, and if it's going well, see if you, hey, you want to get some food while we're here, too, you know? Um, and and then, you know, if that go, if, if that's all going good and the conversation's good or whatever, maybe go, you know, grab after dinner drink somewhere, too, you know? But... Uh, all throughout, yeah, I'm like gauging the conversation and seeing like, am I stimulated? Because like, I I need to be like really interested in in whatever's being talked about. You yeah. Know? Like, it, it, otherwise, like, it doesn't matter what you look like or whatever else is going on. If I don't think like the conversation's interesting, I it just just dies for me, Alexa. The thing about being interesting, I think, is difficult for you because you are such an interesting person and you're looking for your counterpart in that. So it's very hard for somebody who finds such passion in a lot of the things that he's talking about to then find that in somebody else. Uh, I think once you do find that, though, it'll be great and you'll be fine. So I, all my advice to you is just to keep doing exactly what you're doing. Um, I think that the dinner interview is a great way to find somebody because, okay. because you're not wasting your time going on dates with somebody that you're not interested in right. or that you found originally wasn't going to be interesting for you. So why keep it going? That's my logic yeah. as well. Well, okay. that's very smart. Okay, good. Cause you end up wasting a lot of time on something that you knew from the beginning wasn't going to be what you wanted it to be. That, exactly. So you got to look out for cute friends of yours, Alexa. I will. My not just a sports podcast here. I'll do that. She said. All right. We're going <laughs> to ask you for some hot takes on a couple of things. Yeah, so we're going to run through, through, through some things. Cool. Rob Ryan in Buffalo joining Rex. I think that is, I think that's that's going to be entertaining for all of us. Uh-huh. Without a doubt, I, I think it is going to be. Look, I think he knows defense. I think that he probably can be effective. I think that that ship is going to sink in one more year. Okay, I, I just think I think Rex Ryan has a lot of great qualities to him. I think he's a really terrific guy. I know a lot of people at the Jets facility who rave about him as a person and what it's like to work around him. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he has the same negligent trends over and over and over again. He doesn't care about things that you need to care about from a discipline standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, over and over again. And I think, I just think he's going to eventually run out of time to prove that he can do this as a head coach. And I think you're going to see that sooner rather than later. So I think Rob will be fun for us for a year, but I wouldn't be surprised if you have neither Ryan with the Bills after next season. Yeah, I agree with that. I think also two defensive minds is going to really hurt their offense. Um, yeah, just what they the need, more focus on defense. More defense. Like, yeah. what are you guys talking about? Plus, can we talk about how Rob Ryan is not a good defensive coordinator? Yeah, he, his track record is atrocious yeah. at this point. No good. Yeah. Mom made a phone call. That's all That's all that this comes down to. <laughs> Work with your brother. Yeah. No, that's... <laughs> is that how his mother speaks? Yeah, yeah that's okay. exactly how she speaks. Oh, very good. Tell us a good story about working with Stephen A. Smith. Stephen is the one of the... 
most different people from what you perceive of anyone I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Like you would think based on what you see on first take that he's loud, abrasive, that he's sort of obnoxious, arrogant, cocky guy, right? Mm -hmm. He is so far from that. Stephen A is one of the most genuinely kind, warm, respectful people I have ever met in my life. Like to the point that we'd have bosses say things like, yeah, we really would rather you not like, you should talk less about this subject or whatever. And I'd be like, Steven, that's just like a suggestion. That's not like an order. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. The bosses said they don't want us talking baseball. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to get in trouble now. I'm like, no, no, Steven, we don't have to. Are you sure, man? Cause it sounded like he don't want to talk to baseball. We, we, maybe we shouldn't be talking it. Cause our bosses would always be like, you know, like, oh, baseball is boring. You shouldn't talk it or whatever. And we'd be like, no, if it's like the biggest story of the day, are you sure, man? I don't know. I don't want to upset. I don't want to upset Justin or Tim. I'm not sure. Like, and I would have to be the one who's like, like, I'd have to be the rebel. It's like, no, man, it's okay. He's very, like, it, it's, here's a couple things he does, okay? Uh -huh. Like, he will just go to a different city without telling anyone. Like, obviously, we need to know where he is if he's doing the show, right? So there will be multiple mornings where John Winthrop and I, uh, his producer now on Sirius and, and one of my best friends at the station who was our produ producer at the time, we'd be watching First Take, and all of a sudden we'd be like, huh, wait. He's not in Bristol. Like, where is he? That's not New York's backdrop that we use. Like, what? Oh, my gosh. He's in Miami. He's in Detroit. He's in where? We have to set up a radio studio. The show is two hours from now. Never let us know. We, we get in touch with him. Yeah, guys, I'm in Miami. Like, I need a studio at 12.15 for a 1 o'clock show. Like, yo, dude, you got to let us know these things. Yeah, sorry, man. I forgot. You know, like, just like no big thing. And then when you go get, uh, he, he would, like, sometimes ask, like to get him like a sandwich. Like everybody, like at some point, takes on the role of getting Stephen A's lunch. No matter whether you're his co-host or the intern, it doesn't matter. Yeah, man, can you can you make sure that they toast the bread and put mayo on both sides? I can't have it if the mayo isn't on both sides. You know that, man. And I need a ginger ale too. <laughs> like he's very specific about his routine of what he's eating. So these are some of the things that Stephen A. brings to the table. He's a great dude, though. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Um, one last hot take from you really quick. Ovi and Mello playing the Powerball. Oh, oh. Good, bad, no. Oh, uh, am I playing the Powerball? Oh, oh. Oh, Alexander Alex Ovechkin, Ovechkin and, and Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, Anthony oh, are they playing are? the Powerball. They Powerball. bought tickets. Do you have a problem with that? No, because... You, you, you did know, you have it? Did you buy a ticket? Did I did. You, buy? you did. It's in my wallet. Is is it released uh, tonight? Tonight. Yeah, tonight. Okay. Mello said he would share though. Like yeah. I just bought one. I, I'm sure. Just he, now. You did. Yep, yeah, just see? bought one. Exactly. Everybody needs to buy one. Audio engineer Joey just bought one. And you know what? You don't feel like a sucker. I do it with my dad because yeah. it's a cool family thing. On my own to just go get one. I feel like a sucker. No, no. I feel like I'm giving whoever's gonna win. Here's five dollars, buddy. I might as well just give it to some homeless guy on the street. You should. I agree. We all are suckers, but what you just said is why I do it. Because it's like a communal activity. Sure. And you just want to be a part of it. It's like when I go to Vegas, I don't think I'm gonna win my mortgage tonight. You know, <laughs> right. like I think like I'm going to spend X amount of dollars and be okay losing it to have fun. But the you know? thing is, you went to Vegas. Like, you know that gambling is a thing in Vegas, and that's one of the reasons you look forward to it. This was just like a week ago. Everyone's like, hey, there's a Powerball. And you're like, oh, shoot, I should go get a ticket. 
for me, if my dad's like, hey, it'll be fun. Like, let's go to 7-Eleven together. That's entertaining. But, but it's like, to just go on my own and get it, it's but, so depressing to see like, everyone in line. The drama of just, like, watching the numbers and, like, being like, did you win? Did you win? For six bucks or whatever it is. Like, that's why I'm okay To participate. With yeah. So I think Mello and Ovi, they're not trying to win the money. They're trying to be a part of the, the movement. Yeah. The Powerball movement, which has taken us over. So I I'm like okay that. with it. I'm all right with it. So at the end of every podcast, we tell an embarrassing story. You have the choice of using your sock hand story as your embarrassing story, <laughs> or you have another one you want to give us, which you could could be awesome too. Yeah. You totally have that. I don't know if you can top sock hands. The, yeah, the sock, sock hands, hands is pretty, pretty embarrassing. I yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if I have a more embarrassing story than the sock hands. I don't know. Do you do you tell a different one every week of your own? I tell a different one every week of my own. So this you've week, like I'm, I'm mixing up, it up a little bit. But. You've built up a lot of embarrassing stories then. She's yeah. fairly embarrassing yeah. despite I do really embarrassing things. Yeah, yeah it sounds yeah. like it. This week you're not telling an embarrassing story. No. Why? Because in honor of the State of the Union, Obama's final State of the Union address, I wanted to play what I consider my favorite embarrassing story of somebody else's. Ooh, Okay. So there was this reporter back in the day. It was the Democratic National Convention, and it was a reporter who was talking about how a lot of celebrities come out to support Obama. I'm going to play this audio right now. I think we're going to go back to Mike Blake. Blake Berman. Blake. Blake Blake Berman. He's got some info for us at uh, Camp Obama. Blake? Not necessarily info, but just kind of giving you a little bit of what you see here. That's Wyclef Jean uh, giving an interview. He is one of the many surrogates, uh, you could say. Is, sorry? What, who, Wale, excuse me. Wale. Got my artists mixed up. Either way, we've seen a lot of artists. You've seen a lot of uh, surrogates out on the campaign trail uh, coming out for the president. And now you've seen sort of the surrogates come on out, and we can expect this. Uh, we saw a bunch of musicians out on the campaign trail. Bruce Springsteen uh, for the president yesterday. Jay-Z for the president yesterday. And we've seen celebrities. Uh, Will I Am. Good grief. Man, I am tired. It's Will I Am. I'm sorry. I'm mixing up my artists here. So to me, oh, this oh, is the... No. Oh, gosh. Oh. <laughs> just cringing. Oh. The guy who tells him, though, that oh. it's Wale kind of screwed him. Because, like, watching that video clip, like, he goes, it's Wyclef. And he does, like, a nod, and then the camera pans over, and he's, like, super excited to be sitting next to Wyclef. He's right next to him. And then some, like, his PA or somebody near the camera oh. goes, no, it's Wale. What is that from? Like, what is, is that a real network? Or what? A, yeah. yeah, it's a real network. It's from ABC7. And No, wait, really? Was, yeah. yeah. And, and the throw was abominable, too. <laughs> yeah, like, they, totally they didn't know who their correspondent was. They're like, Blake, I mean, Matt. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's it's the That's What She Said podcast with Sarah. I mean, Alexa. Like, <laughs> what? Like no, you know who you're throwing to for your correspondent at Camp Obama. That's, that's like the, awful. That's like the 2 a.m. coverage, though. They're just like, ah, no And the best he used to recover was like, oh, Bruce Springsteen, the white artist that I know. I'm going to go ahead and shout him out. Oh, my god. That's gosh. who I know was definitely here because oh. I don't know who else was actually That's here. That's brutal. I, I'm glad that you're not trying to top that with an embarrassing story because I fear for what we would hear after hearing that because that is horrendous. That's horrendous. But that's one of my favorite ones. And I tell everyone about that. And, you know, it's, it's especially from the State of the Union last night. It's a I thought it was a good, uh, a good embarrassing story to use. Ryan, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was great. I enjoyed enjoyed doing it and best of luck moving forward thank you if you want to follow him on twitter it's at ryan rucco we are at alexa underscore nyc on twitter make sure you follow us or subscribe to the that's what she said podcast on youtube and itunes kyle thank you so much audio engineer joey thank you and let's go get a snack